Chapter Seven, Part One of the Sovereignty of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Roberts. Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. Chapter Seven, Part One. God's Sovereignty and the Human Will. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians two thirteen. Concerning the nature and the power of fallen man's will, the greatest confusion prevails today, and the most erroneous views are held even by many of God's children. The popular idea now prevailing, and which is taught from the majority of pulpits, is that man has a free will, and that salvation comes to the sinner through his will cooperating with the Holy Spirit. To deny the free will of man, that is, his power to choose that which is good, his native ability to accept Christ, is to bring one into disfavor at once, even before most of those who profess to be orthodox. And yet Scripture emphatically says, It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Romans 9.16 Which shall we believe, God or the preachers? But someone may reply, Did not Joshua say to Israel, Choose this day whom ye will serve? Yes, he did, but why not complete his sentence? whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell? Joshua 24.15. But why attempt to pit Scripture against Scripture? The word of God never contradicts itself, and the word expressly declares, There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3.11. Did not Christ say to the men of his day, Ye will not come to me, that ye might have life? John 5.40. Yes, but some did come to him, some did receive him. True, and who were they? John one twelve and 13 tells us, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But does not scripture say, Whosoever will may come? It does, but does this signify that everybody has the will to come? What of those who won't come? Whosoever will may come no more implies that fallen man has the power in himself to come than stretch forth thine hand implied that the man with the withered arm had ability in himself to comply. In and of himself the natural man has power to reject Christ, but in and of himself he has not the power to receive Christ. And why? Because he has a mind that is enmity against him. Romans 8.7 because he has a heart that hates him. John fifteen eighteen, Man chooses that which is according to his nature, and therefore, before he will ever choose or prefer that which is divine and spiritual, a new nature must be imparted to him. In other words, he must be born again. Should it be asked, but does not the Holy Spirit overcome a man's enmity and hatred when he convicts the sinner of his sins and his need of Christ? And does not the Spirit of God produce such conviction in many that perish? Such language betrays confusion of thought. Were such a man's enmity really overcome, then he would readily turn to Christ. That he does not come to the Saviour demonstrates that his enmity is not overcome. But that many are, through the preaching of the word, convicted by the Holy Spirit, who nevertheless die in unbelief, is solemnly true. Yet it is a fact which must not be lost sight of, that the Holy Spirit does something more in each of God's elect than he does in the non-elect. He works in them both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 In reply to what we have said above, Arminians would answer, 
no the spirit's work of conviction is the same both in the converted and in unconverted that which distinguishes the one class from the other is that the former yielded to his strivings whereas the latter resist them but if this were the case then the christian would have ground for boasting and self-glorying over his cooperation with the spirit but this would flatly contradict ephesians two eight for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god let us appeal to the actual experience of the christian reader was there not a time may the remembrance of it bow each of us into the dust when you were unwilling to come to christ there was since then you have come to him are you now prepared to give him all the glory for that psalm one fifteen one do you not acknowledge you came to christ because the holy spirit brought you from unwillingness to willingness you do then is it not also a patent fact that the holy spirit has not done in many others what he has in you granting that many others have heard the gospel been shown their need of christ yet they are still unwilling to come to him thus he has wrought more in you than in them do you answer yet i remember well the time when the great issue was presented to me and my consciousness testifies that my will acted and that i yielded to the claims of christ upon me quite true but before you yielded the holy spirit overcame the native enmity of your mind against god and this enmity he does not overcome in all should it be said that is because they are unwilling for their enmity to be overcome ah none are thus willing till he has put forth his almighty power and wrought a miracle of grace in the heart but let us now inquire what is the human will is it a self-determining agent or is it in turn determined by something else is it sovereign or servant is the will superior to every other faculty of our being so that it governs them or is it moved by their impulses and subject to their pleasure does the will rule the mind or does the mind control the will is the will free to do as it pleases or is it under the necessity of rendering obedience to something outside of itself does the will stand apart from the other great faculties or powers of the soul a man within a man who can reverse the man and fly against the man and split him into segments as a glass snake breaks in pieces or is the will connected with the other faculties as the tail of the serpent is with his body and that again with his head so that where the head goes the whole creature goes and as a man thinketh in his heart so is he first thought then heart desire or aversion and then act is it this way the dog wags the tail or is it the will the tail wags the dog is the will the first and chief thing in man or is it the last thing to be kept subordinate and in its place beneath the other faculties and is the true philosophy of moral action and its process that of genesis three six and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food sense perception intelligence and a tree to be desired affections she took and ate thereof the will george s bishop these are questions of more than academical interest they are of practical importance we believe that we do not go too far when we affirm that the answer returned to these questions is a fundamental test of doctrinal soundness one the nature of the human will what is the will we answer the will is the faculty of choice the immediate cause of all action choice necessarily implies the refusal of one thing and the acceptance of another the positive and the negative must both be present to the mind before there can be any choice in every act of the will there is a preference the desiring one thing rather than another where there is no preference but complete indifference there is no volition 
to will is to choose and to choose is to decide between two or more alternatives but there is something which influences the choice something which determines the decision hence the will cannot be sovereign because it is the servant of that something the will cannot be both sovereign and servant it cannot be both cause and effect the will is not causative because as we have said something causes it to choose therefore that something must be the causative agent choice itself is affected by certain considerations is determined by various influences brought to bear upon the individual himself hence volition is the effect of these considerations and influences and if the effect it must be their servant and if the will is their servant then it is not sovereign and if the will is not sovereign we certainly cannot predicate absolute freedom of it acts of the will cannot come to pass of themselves to say they can is to postulate an uncaused effect ex nihilo nihil fit nothing cannot produce something in all ages however there have been those who contended for the absolute freedom or sovereignty of the human will men will argue that the will possesses a self-determining power they say for example i can turn my eyes up or down the mind is quite indifferent which i do the will must decide but this is a contradiction in terms this case supposes that i choose one thing in preference to another while i am in a state of complete indifference manifestly both cannot be true but it may be replied the mind was quite indifferent until it came to have a preference exactly and at that time the will was quiescent too but the moment indifference vanished choice was made and the fact that indifference gave place to preference overthrows the argument that the will is capable of choosing between two equal things as we have said choice implies the acceptance of one alternative and the rejection of the other or others that which determines the will is that which causes it to choose if the will is determined then there must be a determiner what is it that determines the will we reply the strongest motive power which is brought to bear upon it what this motive power is varies in different cases with one it may be the logic of reason with another the voice of conscience with another the impulse of the emotions with another the whisper of the tempter with another the power of the holy spirit whichever of these presents the strongest motive power and exerts the greatest influence upon the individual himself is that which impels the will to act in other words the action of the will is determined by that condition of mind which in turn is influenced by the world the flesh and the devil as well as by god which has the greatest degree of tendency to excite volition to illustrate what we have just said let us analyze a simple example on a certain lord's day afternoon a friend of ours was suffering from a severe headache he was anxious to visit the sick but feared that if he did so his own condition would grow worse and as a consequence be unable to attend the preaching of the gospel that evening two alternatives confronted him to visit the sick that afternoon and risk being sick himself or to take a rest that afternoon and visit the sick the next day and probably arise refreshed and fit for the evening service now what was it that decided our friend in choosing between these two alternatives the will not at all true that in the end the will made a choice but the will itself was moved to make the choice in the above case certain considerations presented strong motives for selecting either alternative these motives were balanced the one against the other by the individual himself that is his heart and mind and the one alternative being supported by stronger motives than the other decision was formed accordingly and then the will acted 
on the one side our friend felt impelled by a sense of duty to visit the sick he was moved with compassion to do so and thus a strong motive was presented to his mind on the other hand his judgment reminded him that he was feeling far from well himself that he badly needed a rest that if he visited the sick his own condition would probably be made worse and in such case he would be prevented from attending the preaching of the gospel that night furthermore he knew that on the morrow the lord willing he could visit the sick and this being so he concluded he ought to rest that afternoon here then were two sets of alternatives presented to our christian brother on the one side was a sense of duty plus his own sympathy on the other side was a sense of his own need plus a real concern for god's glory for he felt that he ought to attend the preaching of the gospel that night the latter prevailed spiritual considerations outweighed his sense of duty having formed his decision the will acted accordingly and he retired to rest an analysis of the above case shows that the mind or reasoning faculty was directed by spiritual considerations and the mind regulated and controlled the will hence we say that if the will is controlled it is neither sovereign nor free but is the servant of the mind it is only as we see the real nature of freedom and mark that the will is subject to the motives brought to bear upon it that we are able to discern there is no conflict between two statements of holy writ which concern our blessed lord in matthew four one we read then was jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil but in mark one twelve and thirteen we are told and immediately the spirit drift him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness forty days tempted of satan it is utterly impossible to harmonize these two statements by the arminian conception of the will but really there is no difficulty that christ was driven implies it was by a forcible motive or powerful impulse such as was not to be resisted or refused that he was led denotes his freedom in going putting the two together we learn that he was driven with a voluntary condescension thereto so there is the liberty of man's will and the victorious efficacy of god's grace united together a sinner may be drawn and yet come to christ the drawing presented to him the irresistible motive the coming signifying the response of his will as christ was driven and led by the spirit into the wilderness human philosophy insists that it is the will which governs the man but the word of god teaches that it is the heart which is the dominating center of our being many scriptures might be quoted in substantiation of this keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life proverbs four twenty three for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders etc mark seven twenty one here our lord traces these sinful acts back to their source and declares that their fountain is the heart and not the will again this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth but their heart is far from me matthew fifteen eight if further proof were required we might call attention to the fact that the word heart is found in the bible more than three times oftener than is the word will even though nearly half of the references to the latter refer to god's will when we affirm that it is the heart and not the will which governs the man we are not merely striving about words but insisting on a distinction that is of vital importance here is an individual before whom two alternatives are placed which will he choose we answer the one which is most agreeable to himself that is his heart the innermost core of his being before the sinner is set a life of virtue and piety and a life of sinful indulgence which will he follow the latter 
Why? Because that is his choice. But does that prove the will is sovereign? Not at all. Go back from effect to cause. Why does the sinner choose a life of sinful indulgence? Because he prefers it, and he does prefer it, all arguments to the contrary notwithstanding, though of course he does not enjoy the effects of such a course. And why does he prefer it? Because his heart is sinful. The same alternatives, in like manner, confront the Christian, and he chooses and strives after a life of piety and virtue. Why? Because God has given him a new heart or nature. Hence we say it is not the will which makes the sinner impervious to all appeals to forsake his way, but his corrupt and evil heart. He will not come to Christ because he does not want to, and he does not want to because his heart hates him and loves sin. See Jeremiah 17.9. In defining the will, we have said above that the will is the faculty of choice, the immediate cause of all action. We say the immediate cause, for the will is not the primary cause of any action. We say the immediate cause, for the will is not the primary cause of any action any more than the hand is. Just as the hand is controlled by the muscles and nerves of the arm, and the arm by the brain, so the will is the servant of the mind, and the mind, in turn, is affected by various influences and motives which are brought to bear upon it. But, it may be asked, does not Scripture make its appeal to man's will? Is it not written, And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely? Revelation 22.17 And did not our Lord say, Ye will not come to me that ye might have life? John 5.40 We answer, The appeal of Scripture is not always made to man's will. Other of his faculties are also addressed. For example, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hear, and your soul shall live. Look unto me, and be ye saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Come now, and let us reason together. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, etc., etc. End of chapter 7, part 1